This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. I have come to believe that all of us are connected in some mysterious way. If we wish, we have the gifts to unravel our past and make sense of our present existence. As we chisel away at the mystery, we find life frustrating and fascinating, disappointing and rewarding, and nothing short of astounding. Valeria Tejas interviews Julie Ryan McGew, the author of Twice a Daughter, A Search for Identity, Family, and Belonging. Julie Ryan McGew is an author, a domestic adoptee, and an identical twin. Julie writes extensively about finding out who you really are, where you belong, and making sense of it. Born in Chicago, Julie received her BA from Indiana University in psychology in 1981. She earned an MM in marketing from the Kellogg Graduate School of Business, Northwestern University, in 1984. She served multiple terms on the board of the Midwest Adoption Center. Julie is an active member of the American Adoption Congress. Julie's debut memoir, Twice a Daughter, A Search for Identity, Family, and Belonging, she writes press, will be released in May 2021. It is the story of her five-year search for birth relatives. Her weekly blogs, That Girl's This Life, and monthly column at The Beecher focus on identity, family, and life's quirky moments. Married for over 35 years, Julie and her husband split their time between Northwest Indiana and Sarasota, Florida. She is the mother of four adult children and has three grandsons. If she's not at her computer, she's on the tennis court or out exploring with her Nikon. Julie is currently working on a collection of personal essays. Meet Julie at juliemcgewauthor.com. Here is the interview with Julie Ryan McGew. In your own words, who is Julie Ryan McGew? Oh, boy, what a complicated question, because we're all such complicated people. When I think of myself, I think of myself as a twin, and then I think of myself as adopted, and then I think of myself as a wife and a mother and a grandmother and a friend and a writer, ultimately the writer at the end. What are some of the greatest misconceptions about identity from your perspective? I think we all expect that we should know who we are. And I think that that is a ever-evolving uh, question to us. 
based on the circumstances that we find ourselves in um, and the people that we are with. Uh, For somebody like me who grew up with an identical twin sister, I was always striving to be different from her. And then I think because of that, trying to be different, I wasn't always myself. Um, And I find as the older that I get, I am more myself, even when I am with my sister. Uh, We are not, we're aligned in a lot of ways, but we're very different. And I think we accept both of that uh, in our identity. Coming from a spiritual background or understanding, there is the knowing that we are something that cannot be defined. But at the same time, it's very clear and it's, it supports life, the idea that we are a soul or a spirit. Mm-hmm. That's very appealing to me <laughs> for some reason. I think that it's in our DNA too, Valeria. One of the things I discovered um, in, in my search for my birth relatives was I discovered that I had Jewish heritage Uh, that I had Native American heritage. And ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to have a garden. And I developed plants and grew them inside. Uh, When my parents moved to a a more rural property, I took a patch of ground in the backyard and I grew corn and all (laughs) sorts of things. And my mom was always asking me, you know, you're the only one in the family besides your sister that's interested in this. And then I came to find out when I found my birth relatives, my mother grew up on a farm. My birth mom, she she and her family had a farm going back several generations. And so did my birth father. And so I feel that those qualities that we can't describe about ourselves are probably baked into our DNA. And, you know, if we do a little exploration, especially with the help of ancestry and uh, genealogists, we can discover some of the reasons why we have uh, habits and interests. Mm, yes, right. I'm wondering if it, that can be applied to spirituality. Why do some of us are so inclined to identify ourselves with the spirit or the soul, as I mentioned earlier? Do you think that that also can be traced in our DNA? Oh, absolutely. I do, uh, especially having had Native American ancestry, the idea that uh, you can go out into nature and just sit with yourself or pick up a stick or a stone and hold it in your hand and find peace. Uh, so I do think that spirituality is something that we find in ourselves, but we find in nature, most importantly. What is your own definition of family these days? For me, family is still ever-growing. When I was trying to find my birth relatives, I was so desperate to know who they were because I thought that they would help define who I was. And some of them uh, were closed off to me for various different reasons. Uh, My birth mother's choice to, to not let everybody know right away. But I'm still discovering family. And yesterday was my birthday. Oh, and happy birthday. I, Belated. Hey, yes, thank you. Oh, um, I had an aunt reach out to me by text message to wish me happy birthday. And I've never met her, but she's one of my mother's sisters. And I think that family is forever going to be evolving for me. And I am so excited about it because uh, they were all closed off to me for so long. 
Yeah, now it's uh, it's like opening a gift every yes. day. Every day. <laughs> That sounds wonderful, like a wonderful journey to me. Um, I'll be asking you more questions about your story and okay. your experience with uh, adoption and looking for your relatives. But before that, I do have another question. I have some of them here still. 2020 has been one of these uh, times of change and challenges. What insights have you gained from the events in 2020? Oh my goodness, to expect the unexpected (laughs) and learn to deal with it with um, humility and grace and sense of humor and reflection. Because I think if we look back on some of the hardest days that we had, we've learned to grow uh, inside of ourselves and to embrace what we're given. My next question is about the purpose of life. I'm hoping to get an answer (laughs) by asking this question. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? I think we're given a gift to be able to reach out to other people and to stir something in people that inspires them, but also inspires us to be better versions of ourselves. Yes, that's a beautiful answer. And another question I ask, and I'll ask you too, Julie, Do you think we have chosen to be here in a human body? No, I don't believe we have chosen to be here. I think that we have been given uh, to each other uh, to learn about a greater purpose. So it's not something that an agreement we signed before coming here? No, I've just recently come to that realization that All the answers are out there for us to figure out, and we have to work hard at figuring out our interconnectedness. And um, that effort is really rewarding if we choose to go down that path. Many people don't. Um, They're content with their existence and their life and the little walk that they walk. But, But if we work hard at figuring out how we're connected to one another, Wow, the uh, the joy of figuring that out is immense. Freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Finally, no, it it is it is to be able to have choices, and to be able to explore those choices, um, whether you choose to or not. Um, I certainly did not choose to be adopted, and I often have thought, you know, why was that the case? Uh, But I chose to figure out my story and being able to have that choice finally at 60 years old is something that I'm really satisfied to to have done. When you speak of the purpose of life and searching for it being a journey, even the choice to be here, I'm wondering if that applies also to healing. Do you believe in such a thing as being healed? Healing is also a, a journey. Uh, healing is definitely a journey. We have the power to heal ourselves and to let other people heal us. We just have to <laughs> we just have to work hard at it. Do you believe in the practice of unconditional self-love? Absolutely. I have a uh, gratitude journal and a, a praise journal and certainly it's gotten a lot more entries in the last year than uh, it used to because I think that Many of us have had to search deep 
to find gratitude and, and praise and, and joy in every day. Yeah, and accept oneself. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. And that seems to be, to me, one of the biggest, the greatest challenges for human beings to do, uh, accept oneself, love oneself unconditionally. Would you agree? I do. I've, I've, I've had a lot of growth in the last uh, few years in accepting, you know, the circumstances of my journey and accepting the difficult choices that other people have made uh, and how they affected me. And being able to move past those has been definitely a growth experience. What has helped you, Jolie, in on that journey of self-acceptance and self-love? Do you see some aspects or some practices that you have engaged? I have always been a journaler. Uh, I've probably got boxes of them from my high school years. And I do a lot of writing by hand, not just on the computer. And I think the act of putting down on paper what maybe you don't even know you're going to say is an act of expression from inside you. And I'm always astounded at what comes out. And that's one of my first questions to you uh, related to your book. So you wrote the book, Twice a Daughter, A Search for Identity, Family, and Belonging. So two questions. The first one relates to how did you become a writer is the first one. And the second, what was the inspiration and also purpose of writing your book? When I was in college, I had an English teacher say, you know, you really should become a writer. You should change your major. And I was a psychology major at the time and determined to to follow that path. When I had a, a health issue, I decided that I would start searching for my birth family. And I started writing and journaling about that process as I went through it. And then when I got to the other side of it, I realized this is a very powerful story. A lot of people like me, uh, adoptees, adult adoptees from closed adoption, would benefit from understanding all the all the aspects of a search journey. And so I started taking craft classes and um, writing it. And last year, I guess thanks to COVID. I was able to work with an editor and finish writing the book. And now it's going to be published in May. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's Thank a, you so much. a huge accomplishment. Boy, I love writing. I love books and anything that has to do with it. Talk to me about adoption. What do we need to know and understand more about adoption in the United States? I know you mentioned closed adoption. Um, I think I have heard it before. Yeah, talk to me about adoption in general, Julie. Okay, a, a closed adoption is pretty defunct by this point in time, which is really a good thing. Uh, closed adoption started after World War II and went uh, all the way up to like the 1980s. And most of the children that were adopted were a result of poor families or women that found themselves in um, unwed pregnant mothers. So to protect their privacy, but also to protect the rights of adoptive parents, this closed adoption system took place whereby the birth mother didn't know the names or identities of the family that she was giving a baby to. The, the adoption agencies 
made the determination who would be the best fit. And then the adoptive parents didn't know the birth mother's identities or circumstances or backgrounds in my case. Whereas in um, open adoption, what started in the 1980s, there's more transparency. The birth mother is involved in selecting the family for her child. There's ongoing communication if she chooses to with the adoptive parents and even the child. It's uh, very free form and more a child-centered. It considers the child's need to know where they came from, who they belong to. It's a much kinder system than uh, closed adoption. And many states in the United States are still struggling to change those laws. So people like me who are in their middle age and have health issues and want to go back and try and figure out, is this a serious problem in my family? They have to struggle with the government first to get access. You always knew you were adopted. I did. Right. I did. And my twin sister and I, um, every once in a while, we'd have a conversation with our parents about whether we you know, wanted to, to know more about it. They said they would help us do that if that ever came up. But one thing that adoptee always deals with is rejection. Deep down in our heart, we know that something was wrong, that we were placed in a different family. Often adoptee will take that upon themselves and say, what's wrong with me that I was not accepted? So deciding to search for one's roots is almost saying, well, I'm rejecting my adoptive parents. And if you have a great experience like I did, my sister and I were very happy kids and loved our family you don't want to risk those relationships um, by saying, maybe this isn't good enough. I want to know more. So there's a push-pull, if you will, in, in a closed adoption adoptee. So talk to me about that very beginning when you decided to do that. Then what was your first, um, let's say, approach? What did you do the first thing you did? Well, I didn't even really want to do it at 48, Valeria. Right, right, <laughs> my right. hus- my yeah. husband was said, you know, you really, you owe it to your kids too. Yeah. So I think that that was the big impetus was the fact that it wasn't just about me anymore or my sister. It was about our collective uh, six children between us. And I was afraid. I I didn't know what direction to start. I didn't know any other adoptees who had done it. Uh, the laws were still changing. And fortunately, with my sister's help, we figured out a path. We had a lot of starts and stops. We had a, a search agency that we selected that turned out to not be, I, they were legitimate, but they took advantage of a lot of people. And then fortunately for us, the confidential intermediary program was set up in Illinois and under the auspices of a judge we were able to find out uh, who our birth mother was and tried to make contact with her. Wow. Yeah, I'll try not to ask too many questions <laughs> to, to, um, so you don't disclose everything in the book. Right. That's not <laughs> the idea. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Talk to me about some of the challenges, the major challenges you faced on your journey. Uh, the major challenge was dealing with my adoptive mom getting her support. She had, uh, as I said previously, always said that she would help. And when it came down to the the actual search, she wasn't supportive. 
And I struggled with that. I struggled with what I needed to do for myself and my family and what I wanted to do to please her. Ultimately, we got through that. And I'm very proud of us for doing that, for getting to the other side of a very challenging situation. There was a lot of collision on wants and needs. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And also emotionally, yeah, I can imagine how the the roller coaster, all these emotions coming up by going through those discoveries that you never right. imagined. What a advice or suggestions would you give to adoptees out there who are looking to do the same? Uh, first of all, start reading. Um, on my website, I have a lot of reference materials that I used, and they would be very helpful to an adoptee to get educated. And then find yourself a support system. Definitely make sure that you are in a good place, physically, spiritually, emotionally, fiscally, um, and if you are, then start putting out touchers and feelers and in your state to find out what's available to you and find a support system like an adoption support group. Um, I, I found that absolutely invaluable. Also, the writing a book like this, how challenging was with the family? Did they accept immediately or you found some resistance? Um, to be honest with you, I wrote the book as if nobody was going to read it but me and my sister and my family. And that was the advice of my memoir writing coach. And then I went back through it and took out things that I thought could be damaging to our relationships going forward. Uh, I didn't take out everything because I felt that there were some high points and low points that we got through and were learning points for a reader. So I kept those in, but learning to what to keep in and what to take out to preserve the story, but also to preserve people's dignity uh, was, was a difficult thing. Do you recommend people like me? I never had children and I thought about my husband and I about adopting. Do you recommend that one? And what state would be the most, uh, let's say, the better state, the most uh, flexible laws when it comes to adoption, what would you suggest? I know that it is very difficult to do international adopt adoptions right now, just given the climate that we've been through in the last year and the outgoing administration has made a lot of things difficult. New York has new adoption laws, which are good. Um, so does Illinois. I think there's quite a few states that would be very helpful. There's a big push to adopt older children from foster care. Yeah. And I think that would be very rewarding to, especially with your cultural background, I think you would have a lot to offer to maybe a little older child that needs spiritual guidance and some developing their inner journey. And what is the age? What age, Julie, would you suggest when you say older? Um, I would say school age and older. There are a lot of older foster care kids, what I mean by teenagers, and the, of so many of them uh, end up aging out, becoming 18 years old, and, and essentially being on their own at 18 without any 
agencies able to care for them and they end up having to learn how to care for themselves. So those particular age groups, the teenage group, are the most needy and uh, the most difficult to place. But certainly school-age kids uh, on up would be a tremendous, tremendous experience. I love to hear that. Um, We live in Florida. I know you didn't mention Florida. (laughs) No, I'm in Florida too. (laughs) So that's not a good state to... uh, I don't, you know what, I truthfully don't know. I'm I'm really only here maybe eight months out of the year because I have a daughter that lives here and a couple of grandchildren. So I'm probably only four years into knowing um, what Florida is all about from an adoption standpoint. Right. So I need to do my research. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So we are almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Um, I think I would like to say that if you are not part of the adoption triangle, as what we call it, if you're not an adoptee or a birth parent or an adoptive parent, be careful not to judge Uh, It is such a complicated situation. And even because I'm in the middle of it, I didn't really understand all the nuances that my adoptive parents, what they felt or thought, and certainly not birth parents because I didn't know any. But it is so easy to judge uh, from the outside looking in. And I would urge everyone to be better listeners, to just sit back and take it in and be supportive instead of judgmental. And I guess we can apply that to any situation. We all should be better listeners uh, and less judgmental and better better listeners. So, so true. Yeah, that leads to understanding, which leads to love, right? Exactly. Yeah, thank you for that beautiful, important message, Julie. So my ending questions, success, how do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Successful right now to me means having written this book. I don't really have expectations for how it will sell or not, but having written it um, and said what I wanted to say, the way I wanted to say it feels like a huge accomplishment. And so I'm very proud of it. I'm also uh, I'm also proud of the the direction that my family is going and how they've embraced new family members. We are all blended <laughs> and becoming more blended and I I think that's a powerful thing is being accepting of others whatever wherever they came from and why ever they why ever they're in our lives. Yes, yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for for doing that, being you and have the courage to do what you have done. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? I don't take rejection very well. And unfortunately, that was both a good thing and a bad thing in uh, writing the book. But learning to take rejection better and figure out how to deal with it has been uh, a real blessing. And my last two questions are, if you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? I definitely would change my will to include more people than it does and probably some some very important charitable causes. Any regrets? 
I do regret that I was not able to figure out my personal story before I was 50 years old. I wish that I would have done it sooner. I don't know that the tools were available to me, but I do think that it would have benefited me to have figured it out sooner. And the last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Uh, the world will go on. <laughs> there will be good people and there will be bad people. And we have to decide which one we are and to work harder at that than we ever realized that we could. There was one in three, the three things you know for sure. Oh, that I will always be my mother's daughters, both <laughs> of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Julie, for your wisdom, your courage, your beautiful work, your peaceful presence, kind presence. Thank you. Thank you for your show and for continuing to spread a beautiful message in dark, dark times. Thank you for the encouragement. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? You can find me at juliemcgueauauthor.com. That's uh, my website, and all my contact information is there. Thank you so much again, Julie. We'll talk Thank soon. Thank you. All right. Bye right for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Julie Ryan McGue and her work, please visit juliemcgueauauthor.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.